All right, a um, couple things. Next week is, uh, is going to be a real special week. After this, following the second service, we're going to have the blessing of the bikes. And uh, we, I think that, that got started with, uh, with Alan and uh, uh, some of the, the guys in, in, that he runs with uh, and some of the biker clubs. But you don't have to belong to any club. All you got to need is a bike. Now, we're thinking motor. Bikes here, okay, but uh, you know, if you, whatever, you bring it, we're going to bless it, because if it's only got two wheels, you need a blessing before you're going to be riding on it for, for a while, yeah, uh, but, but that's going to that's gonna be a special thing. Uh, and then on Easter, let me just, um, I mentioned last week that there would be a special presentation that day, there'd be a, a, a one-act drama, but it's it kind of... Uh, it's not a mystery. I mean, it's not a mystery what it is, all right? It's actually got a title. It's called, Yes, My Lord, Caiaphas. It's about Caiaphas being informed that the grave is empty. And then the interview that he had with the uh, with the soldiers after that, and how he convinced them to spread a false report. So uh, that would be, uh, it, it'd be something good to see. I mean, it's going to be really, really good. I wrote it. So, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm sure it's going to be terrific. Uh, would you stand with me and let's, uh, let's read from Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you are here. And I pray, Lord, that you would not only inhabit this room, but that you would inhabit us, uh, invade our space. And Lord, let us, I pray that every person here would invite you to invade their space today, Father. Uh, change us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God of wonders, and one of those wonders is that God is omnipresent. He is He is everywhere. And, and this concept actually... Uh, raises some some questions that sometimes people have a, a a bit of a of an issue with if god is everywhere then why are, why are some places more sacred more holy than other places what's the you know what's the difference between uh, uh, a, a sanctuary and a and a bar you know why are some things more holy than other things um and and really i i think it's pretty easy for us to actually suss that out as to why it is. It's because God is present everywhere, but the manifestation of his presence is different to different degrees in different places. Uh, When God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, he didn't just say, sacrifice your son somewhere. He said, sacrifice your son on the place I'm going to show you. I've got a particular place picked out where you're supposed to go. When uh, when the ark was being brought back to Jerusalem, 
and it was being carried on a cart, which they weren't supposed to do, and, and it began to, began to slip. A man named Uzzah reached out and touched it, and when he did, he died. He could have touched anything else. He could have touched the cart, he could have touched the oxen, he could have touched all the blades of grass and all, all, the, all the wonderful little things. But when he touched the ark, he died because God's presence was so powerfully manifested there. Now, it wasn't, it, it wasn't necessarily, it's not that God gets uh, angry with us for, for wanting to be in his presence. It's that his, his holiness and his presence is so powerful. You know, if you grab a 220 line, you're in trouble. It's just that serious. And a 440, I guess there's such a thing. I don't know if there's an 880 or not. But, you know, if you touch that, you probably are done for. And, and God is what he is. And when his presence is that, is that genuinely manifested, then, <coughs> excuse me, that's not the way it is just everywhere else. There, there are special places and special things. God is everywhere probably except for one place. There's one place that I don't think he is, and that's a mystery, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But how this can be and why some places are more sacred than others and all that it is, is, is wonderful. It's a, it is full of wonder, full of mystery. If God is everywhere, though, what really matters today is how does that impact my life? He is watching everything that you do. Okay, that, that, that got a lot of... Uh... He's watching everything that you do. Isn't that great? The writer of Hebrews tells us that... Come on, Hebrews. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's a bit unnerving, but it's true. And however, this fact is not really, it's also true that this isn't, this, this knowledge, this fact is not given to us to keep our neighbor in line, which is oftentimes the way that it's used. When I was a, when I was a little kid, and I was a little kid once upon a time, yeah, uh, they used to uh, they used to get all of us kids to come down front occasionally every night. It was very random. It wasn't like a special you know fifth Sunday or something. It was just random. Occasionally, they'd get us kids to come down and sing for everybody. And one of the songs that we sang that I don't know if any other church in Creation sang it, and it's probably a good thing. But one of the songs that we sang was, Echo, 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 echo is my name. I go wherever children go and always say the same. Echo, 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 remember I am near. And never say a word you don't want Christ to hear. And as a child, I wondered why Echo didn't follow adults around. (laughs) And then as an adult, I kind of realized that, well, (laughs) Echo didn't want to be saying those kind of things. And uh, besides that, adults do, do, well, they, they don't tend to, 
They don't tend to be as tight-lipped as kids about what, about what, they, uh, about what they have said. But there's so much more to it than uh, to the fact that God is, is, is listening, He's watching, He's there. There's so much more than our flippant ideas of what it means for God to be watching. Have you ever been watching a, uh, maybe a television show or a movie or something, and a scene happened that you didn't want to see, and you turn away from. M- Margaret and I were watching uh, watching one, I guess it was this last week. I think we had a night this last week where we actually watched the TV show. And uh, this guy who wasn't a doctor needed to perform emergency surgery on this guy who'd had a pretty gruesome injury, and uh, they decided to just show us the whole thing. And, and I remember, I mean, Margaret got up from the chair and kind of, she went, I don't want to see this, Ronnie. I, I, I don't, I just don't want to look at it. And well, I didn't either, but somebody had to tell us when it was over. <laughs> you know, and so sometimes you, you probably have kind of watched maybe some things like, like that. You know, there, there are things that you don't want to see. God sees every atrocity, every tear every tragedy, every shame, every injustice. He doesn't look away from any of it. He not only sees it, He is there. He's there when it happens. You know, and some people say, well, if he sees and if he's there and if he's almighty, then what? Oh, come on. God does the best by us that he can possibly do. I mean, I, I trust that he's also, he's also omniscient. He knows the, he knows the end from the beginning. He, he knows if I pull this string, this is what's going to happen over here. Things that we can't possibly know. There was a, we had a worship pastor here a long time ago. This was back before Wayne. Uh, in the Jurassic period, and uh, and I fired him, and I I didn't want to. It wasn't a pleasant thing for me. It wasn't a pleasant thing for him. But things had kind of gotten to a situation where I had to. I mean, I I had to for the for the church's sake, and uh, so you know I did, and you know they left. Of course, they left the church and. Um, and then a couple of years later, maybe maybe two or three years later, they actually came back and and uh, and and spent a a fair amount of time here before they moved out of out of state. And now they when they when they drive through, they'll still stop and say hello or we'll have lunch or something. But uh, but one of the things that the guy said to me that I, I will always carry. Uh, one of the things that as a pastor, I, it just meant so much to me. He said, you know, when we left here, I really thought you'd done me wrong. But I've come to realize that you probably did the best by me that you could. And I went, oh. I, I don't know if I did the best by him that I could. I did the best by him that my knowledge would allow me to do. God always does the best by us that He can. In, in everything, He's at work for our good. We, we have to trust that. We have to believe Him. So yes, he, He's always there. He always sees. 
He doesn't always interfere. You know, when, when you, with your own children, there are times that you see them doing some things and you stop them, and there are times that you see them and you don't stop them. Because you know, okay, let, we, they need to see where this goes. They, they need to, to see what's, what's going to happen here. But he, he, he sees that stuff, and he sees the good stuff too. He sees every triumph, every, every joy, every reconciliation, every fulfilled dream that happens. I mean, he, he sees it all. And he isn't watching in order to compile a, a, a dossier with which to condemn us or issue a grade to us. As, 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 you know, if he were, if he were doing that in order, to, he wouldn't have to watch everything we do. He'd just have to glance every now and then to condemn us. He is not watching us as our parole officer. He is watching us as our father. That's the way the scripture presents him. And I am a, I, I'm a father and I, and I know, I know how that, how that impacts. I know what that means. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son would have gotten a failing grade. The prodigal son would have been somebody that, that, uh, you know, he had, he had wasted all this money. He'd wasted his life. He ended up in a pigsty for crying out loud. But the scripture says, Jesus, Jesus says that, when, when, the, when the son finally decided, I'll go back to my father, that while he was a long way off, the father saw him. And he ran to him. And he threw his arms around him. And, and, and he embraced him and he hugged him. How do you see somebody when they're a long way off? You've got to be looking for them. You've got to be looking. And God is not looking to see how we're going to mess up. He's looking for us to do something good. That he can go, yeah, that's mine. We have uh, we have three kids, three children. Kids are goats, actually. Uh, we we have we have three kids, and uh, you know our middle our middle one is is Arwen, and she was a cheerleader in high school, so she'd cheer at football games and and basketball games and and all that stuff. And when I was in high school, I I, I played football. Uh, Believe it or not, I'll tell you about it someday. Uh, but uh, I, I played football, and uh, and I remember thinking, as a football player in high school, when it came to football games and stuff, you know, why do we have a band and and cheerleaders and stuff? I mean, it's about the game, people. That's that's what everybody has come to see is the game. And then I became a daddy with a girl who was a cheerleader, and I realized that you have a band and you have cheerleaders and you have all this extracurricular stuff because half those people wouldn't be there if you didn't have that. It's not about the game. It's about the son or the daughter. It's about the, you know, the game? Okay, that's great. I'm glad we won. Oh, I'm sad that we lost, but boy, wasn't that cheerleader good. Especially that little brunette one right there, you know, the, one of the base. Oh, she's great. That's, that's what I came to see. Uh, I, my, my son would play ball. He'd play uh, baseball and basketball and stuff like that. And sometimes, you know, it was a, sometimes it was a, it was a bother to, to get to the game. But I went because 
He was playing. I, I wouldn't have been there if he hadn't been playing. Our, our youngest daughter, Axe, and she's been in a lot of plays and stuff. And whenever I go to those plays, uh, how good the play is is one thing. She's great. Always. And she is. I'm just telling you. I mean, she's talented. She's beautiful. And she's the best thing in every play that she's ever in. Uh, you understand what I'm saying, right? God is a father. He's a father, and, and, he's, and he's looking at everything that you do the way a father looks. All of God's attributes are, are, are interconnected. It, it does little good for me to have an almighty God if he isn't with me, if he's not there. But he is. Jesus, oh, I didn't do this. I, I forgot. I forgot to do this in the first service. That was that was a prodigal son picture there, and I, and I love it because the guy's running down the road toward that dirty little kid. Uh, Jesus said this: "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you." And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Most of you, many of you, know that verse or verses, and you know what we call it. The Great Commission. And we call it that because we focus on what we've been instructed to do. But it would be the impossible commission without that last sentence. That last sentence is what really makes it happen. There are times we would rather not be seen by God. There, there are times that we wish that he wasn't looking. And in fact, there are times that, that we don't want to be seen by anybody and, you know, and want to be alone, and that's okay. But nobody wants to be lonely. Alone and lonely are two very different things, two, two very different concepts. Nobody wants to be lonely. God created us to live in community. He cre- I know that he created us to live in community because he created us in his image, and he has always lived in community from the very beginning. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Always. In the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He created us to live in community. It is the goal of the enemy to isolate us and to try to get us to feel like we're alone. Try to get us to feel like not even God sees us. Tries to get us to flee from grace. And we tend to flee at the worst possible times. When, when, at the times that we really need each other are the times that we tend to run away. You know, you've heard the saying, when the, tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yeah, well, when the going gets tough, the not tough run. Run from everybody, from, from, from everything. And so the enemy can get us, if he can get us isolated and get us to feel like it's just us, and God's presence isn't even there with us, then we're easy pickings. We're never alone. There's a falsehood. I believe it's a falsehood <coughs> about the cross. I've heard it taught a number of times, and it's not, it's not, 
essential to our salvation, whether you believe this or not. I just don't, I don't see it in the Bible. And it is the notion that when Jesus hung on the cross, the Father turned his face away from him and couldn't look at him. Now, I know Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting scripture so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And he, and I'm sure he felt forsaken. You remember um, back when we did the series about um, transition and one of them was change my way of thinking? Boy, it really stuck. Uh, and do you remember uh, what the kind of the crux of it was? The crux of it was we need to actually start, we need to actually think rather than just feel and let our feelings control our thinking. You know, yes, Jesus felt abandoned. Yes, he, yes, he, he felt alone. The psalmist felt alone. There are times we feel it, but we're not. And he knew that he wasn't. He had told his disciples on the night before, he said, the time is coming and has now come when each of you will be scattered to your own home and you'll leave me all alone, but I'm not alone. Because the Father who sent me is with me. And I've heard some people say, well, geez, you know, the Father turned his face away. He, he, he couldn't look at sin. That's nonsense. God looks upon sin every second of every minute of every day. Yes. He saw. <coughs> well, he couldn't look because, you know, that was his son and his son was being sacrificed. If Abraham had to look at his sacrifice, God looked at his sacrifice. He didn't abandon. He didn't leave him alone. <clears throat> there is only one place to escape God's presence. This is my own theology, but I think the Bible supports it. And that, that place is hell. And it's a great mystery because God is everywhere, <clears throat> but I believe his presence is not in hell. Now, I know the King James Version says, uh, the, the passage that we read says, if I make my bed in hell. But the word that's actually there is Sheol, and Sheol was not the place of punishment. It's the place of the dead. It's the place where the dead go. Uh, the concept of hell that we know from the New Testament is, isn't really clearly stated in the, <clears throat> in the Old Testament. Uh, but I, I believe that God's presence is there because the people who go there, the ones who reject God's grace, the ones who are condemned uh, for two, two reasons. One, they're cast into a place, something called darkness. And God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's what John tells us. And, and, and also... Not only that, this is an omniscient God. Barbie was teaching about that a couple of weeks. So this is an omniscient God. He knows everything. And those who are condemned, he says to them, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. And so whatever else hell is and wherever else it may be, I believe that it's definitely the, the place of ultimate loneliness. I, uh, three weeks ago, I mentioned that, uh, uh, that in my past, before I, I came to the Lord, um, there were some drug abuse issues. And uh, apparently, 
you know, that kind of hit home with some people. They go, kind of, really? I mean, come on, guys. I mean, like a pastor doesn't have a past. You know, pastors got past just like plumbers. You know, everything. And, and, and we don't glorify that. We don't, we don't, we glorify the God who redeemed us from that. In fact, you know, one of the, one of the things that God did in my life, and I'm so grateful for, I just wish he had done it with everything else. But as far as that part of it was concerned, when I gave my life to the Lord, bam, gone. It's just gone. And it wasn't a matter of, oh, I gotta, you know, I gotta stay away. I could walk through the middle of it. I just didn't, I just didn't want it anymore. I didn't care. I mean, that's, that's redemption. You know, that, that's been, now, you know, like I say, I, I have my own issues, all right? But that's one of the things that, bam, clear, he got rid of. But I really, I, I felt like this week that I, that I needed to share one other thing about that, uh, or one experience from that. And I really, I kind of fought with the Lord about it because I was kind of going, I don't know, God. But I, I, you know, I think he told me to do this because it's for somebody. 1970. 1970 was my hallucinogenic year, okay? Uh, it, 70 was in Technicolor. Uh, and, uh, and in the summer of 1970, uh, there was this one particular, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, hallucinogenics I don't think are all that um, vogue, in vogue anymore or anything. But, uh, but you, you, we call it, we'd call it a trip, and you could have a bad trip. And in the summer of 1970, this boy had a bad trip. Uh, I was at um, a, a friend's apartment. Several of us were there. And we were there to... Trip the weekend away, you know, and uh, and I was excited about it. I was going, great, this is this is great until it started going downhill, and once it started circling the drain, and I couldn't, I realized I couldn't do anything about it. That's now I walked outside. I remember going outside and thinking, well, maybe this will help. No, the things I saw outside just weren't helping at all, and I went back inside and looked at. I mean, Amira is not a good place to go to when you're having a bad trip. And I thought, okay, I'll close my eyes. And when I did, I went, oh, this is worse than open. So, you know, open them back up. Uh, I'll also say that the Broadway soundtrack of Hair is not a good thing to be listening to (laughs) when you're having a bad trip. And I would caution about Sonny and Cher as well. Uh, But I... uh, the guy whose apartment it was, I went to him and I said, you know, John, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bring everybody down or anything, but I'm, I'm having a hard time, man. I, I, I'm having a hard time. Well, he was older than me, and, and I thought, you know, maybe he could do something. He couldn't do anything. And uh, he said, well, what do you want to you know, do? You want to go to the hospital? No. No, I mean, that, that's, I don't want to do that. Uh, I have this other friend who, you know, had, had done a lot of that kind of stuff. And I said, let's call him. You see, will you call him? And because I'm not, you know, it's like if the phone won't stay, you know, if the phone's kind of dripping over your hand, you, it's, you don't want to make a call on that kind of phone. But if you'll make that phone call, you know, I'll talk to him. And, and he did. And I talked to the guy and he couldn't do anything. It's not a really, it's not a, 
a happy ending to this necessarily. I mean, by the next morning, you know, the intensity was sort of gone. And, uh, but I, I mean, for the next several weeks, I was pretty strung out and, and really for a few months, it took a few months to get my feet back under, under me on the ground. But here's what I learned. I learned that there was a place inside of me. Let's call it my soul. No one else could touch. No one, no matter how well I knew them, no matter how well they knew me, nobody could touch me in that place where I needed to be touched. And that place was very lonely. And I realized that there was somebody who could who could come into that space. I didn't want him to. I mean, it was five more years before I came back to the Lord. So, I mean, this wasn't like, oh, so he got saved. No, it, this was just part of the process. But I realized, and I think it's this way with every single person. There's just you in your soul, and there's only one other who can, who can have entrance to it. God is omnipresent, but you've got a place where he isn't unless you let him in. Because he's not going to tear the door down. He's just going to knock. And he says, if anyone will hear that knock and will open the door, he'll come in. He'll sup with them. He'll have dinner with you. I, you know, that's, I, I don't think you're, we're talking about, you know, serving food or something, but I mean, it's, it's metaphorical people, but, but he'll come in and you'll never be lonely again for eternity. If hell is the place of ultimate loneliness, when we accept Christ, when we accept God into our lives, He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In, in the dark night of the soul, in the worst thing you can possibly go through, when, when tragedy is, is coming down all around you, He doesn't go, oh, I don't want to look at that. No. He's there. And it matters. His presence itself is grace. Brings comfort and strength and peace. Our God is omnipresent in the universe. But for Him to be in your life, in that place, it's all around your life, but for Him to get to that place, you have to invite Him in. Would you stand with me? Other things come and they try to, they pretend to fill up that space, but they don't fill that space up. They distract, they just distract you from the fact that it's there. He's the only one who can come in and actually touch it. For those who are going to pray with people, come forward. And if you're here today and you need prayer, uh, You come forward as well. We, uh, God always does what's best by us.
and I don't know, you know, like I said, I, I, I kind of struggle with the Lord about sharing some of that stuff, but maybe it was for you. And, and if God has said something to you, if God has touched you in some way, don't ignore it. You don't, you don't have to wait five more years to respond. You might not have five more years. Just, just go ahead and respond now. I, once I finally responded, I've never regretted it. Not, not one single day. I regretted it. Uh, and if you're here and if you're going through a difficult time, he's there with you. But these brothers and sisters are part of the grace that he's provided for you. So if you need to come, you come. Uh, if not, worship with us for a few moments. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world so that he might bring us into himself may the awareness of his presence be strong in your life may the power of the Holy Spirit make you aware not only of his presence to to keep you in line but to bring you joy and may the fullness of that joy be yours as you walk with him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.